0: I just... Dang, I think you're pulling the wrong one. I'm
1: just... Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in the... Okay, don't hold the place so tight. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Is what? Huh? Is what? Hi, welcome to the podcast. This is how it's gonna start. Motion Casher, welcome to the podcast. Booyaka, booyaka. Booyaka, buh. What's up? This is my now control. This is now. Here we are. You know, here we are. A day sixty-five. Do you have a? Are you counting days at all?
0: I have a um, in in my bedroom. I have like a a pocket knife that I got from a, a guy that can get things, and so I whittle okay. I whittle a hash mark for each day to keep track of how long it's been. So yeah yeah, I've got I've got my wall is covered in little hash marks.
1: Wait, what's covered in hash marks?
0: My bedroom wall. I just carve into oh, the wall. Oh, your bedroom
1: wall. Okay. Yeah, with
0: a, with a with a little whittling knife. You know, so there's hash marks all the way down. My wife is not thrilled about the process, but I just think it's important to keep track.
1: Yeah, so do you know what what you're at then, if that's the case?
0: Well, I've also been playing a lot of video games, so I've missed some days. I've been a little distracted, so I only have two hash marks, but I think it's been a long two days. What
1: have you been playing?
0: I've been playing Apex Legends, and I just finished a game, actually. uh,
1: Dude, Apex. You're you're kind of late to Apex, to be honest. Do you know that? How do you know how long I've been playing? I might be. Well, I mean, even if, if the fact that you're still playing is also oh, a, a okay, thing, too. Okay, well. Most people have. I love that game. That game, to me, I had a time of it where I was like, couldn't stop playing that game.
0: Uh, well, I'll have you know that um, when they refer to the game as Apex Legends, they're actually uh-huh. referring to me, or I'm one of them. Okay. I'm so one well, of the legendary. Which, which
1: character do you play then?
0: I'm um, I, I main, as they say. Uh, like,
1: can I, can, I, can I guess? Can I guess first? Yeah,
0: guess.
1: Okay, I'm gonna guess. Uh, I think you're not mating Bloodhounder. I don't think that makes sense for you. I think maybe you're. Um, what's the uh, the girl who's the healer?
0: Uh, the girl who she's what?
1: Jamaican, I think. Oh, she's a healer and she's lifeline. Jamaican. Lifeline. Lifeline. I'm guessing your main lifeline.
0: That's actually, to be honest, it's not my main, but it's actually okay. really cool of you and your perception of me. I I just like really think it's a sweet perception that you have of me that I would choose the healer. And I actually, I did, I guess, start this podcast by saying Buyaka, which might've given you a little clue, but.
1: <laughs> That's probably what happened. Yeah. You said that it's like an under it's subconscious thing. No, I
0: mean, uh, Bangalore is the name of the one I'm talking right now. Right now. She's a bit of a, mar- she's like a Marine type, you know, she can yeah, send out missiles. Actually-
1: She's a bruiser, I would say.
0: True bruiser. I'm more of a bruiser than a healer, and a lot of people think of me as okay. a healer, a Jamaican healer, but I'm more of a black bruiser.
1: Well, the thing about the healer is also she does well on her own because she if you want to play the game by yourself without a team, you can heal yourself, and it's a great a lot of the, a lot of the streamers who play solo use lifeline is their main character
0: i'll tell you what i've been playing i played recently i was looking for a game uh that i could just play without go because the reason that video games like apex right now are so um healing is because they're they're team-based so you can hook up with your friends, yeah and you can talk to your friends and you can it's almost like hanging out but i also wanted one that i could just play on my own and i've been play. i just finished a game very uh prescient for our times called a plague tale um and it's all about the uh the black plague infesting this area in France. And it was a super, super fun game. And you're, there's rats. It's like an RPG. No, it's like a, no, it's a, it's a, a kind of action storytelling game. And uh,
1: so what's it similar to? Like, is it similar to like a, um, it's
0: a little similar style. It's a, it's a bit of a mix between like, I would say horizon zero dawn and, um, what what's that game where you sneak around that the Japanese guy made the famous sneak around game? Metal
1: Gear Solid?
0: Yes, it's kind of a mixture of Metal oh, Gear wow. Solid and Horizon Zero Dawn taking place in the uh the the 1300s in France and you play a little French girl.
1: That sounds cool. I I mean I guess I realized I didn't realize how much of a gamer you were cuz I really I guess I don't game that much actually or at least I don't have as much of a diversity of games. I play like a lot of the same games.
0: No, I'm not a big gamer. I play about five video games a year, if that. Okay. Maybe three to five video games a year. I only like a very specific kind of game uh, that is engrossing and has a really good story. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I I don't play that much. But Apex isn't really like that. Apex is more of a. uh... Now, when you said. Yeah, it's
1: run and gun. It's fun.
0: Yeah, running and gunning, killing, Although, you know, some of my friends just started doing. Call of Duty online and that's too much for me. I think that's like so you, I've
1: War been playing League. call of duty for many many years and I find it to be absolutely thrilling
0: well, you're a bit late, like, you're a bit late in the game to be saying you're still playing call of duty to be honest
1: you just won't let that die huh you're gonna <laughs> <laughs> um, do you play on PS4 or Xbox or pc
0: I'm a p I have a ps4 yeah I have an Xbox two and a switch. And uh, okay. now, when, when you said you wanted to have a podcast with Scintillating Conversation, were you anticipating right. uh, running through all of the my gaming hardware?
1: No, I wasn't. I was sort of like, I <laughs> thought this would be like an afterthought. I thought this would be... <laughs> the thing don't, about gaming I, that gets me now is... Go ahead. You, I, have you. What are you I have a question yeah, for you.
0: I have a question for you, but I don't want to change the subject.
1: No, it's okay. I can always can always go back to it because I remember it.
0: Oh, great. Um, you have a really, really well-coiffed haircut. And I'm wondering how and what's up with that.
1: Well, oh, um, there's two reasons. You just
0: turned your head. Two I realized reasons. you did it yourself.
1: Well, I didn't do it myself, actually. Yeah. My wife did it. okay. And this actually, this is this clearly looks like it's not supposed to look that way. But I've it's kind of grown on me actually that look.
0: So it was a um, mistake that became a choice.
1: Well, it's not so much a mistake as it was like she doesn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like mm. what do you do with this area and I was telling her you should shave it and she's like I don't think I can cuz it'll look weird. I'm just like, well, whatever, I'll let you leave it as it is. I think the reason it looks good is because uh my hair is dirty and also because um it's grown out. It's been about 6 or maybe i almost honestly I'm not sure how many days it's been since I had this cut, but it feels like it's been about a week and a half. And so you know how the when you have a severe cut, when it grows out about a week, that's when it looks the best. Yeah, that's what
0: it is. I I was just thinking, though, you know, something that at first you regretted, but then you came to it came to grow on you. I really relate to that because I have a daughter. Right. And so that's how <laughs> I feel about her. You know, every day I'm like, you know, what? Yeah. maybe this was a good idea.
1: They, they do get better. Right. Because it's the thing when you first have that kid, they're just like this little alien ball of flesh that just screams and sleeps and poops. Right. For a long time. Very, they have no personality.
0: Well, my child came out reading uh, Keats, but but I've heard about these other kids. No, I'll tell you what, dude. I was not to get too corny here, but I I I
1: enjoy corniness.
0: I had this realization last night that, like, especially at the age that my kid is at right now, like,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. parenting is like this thing where if at any moment you focus, like, if you look at the malaise of experience then it's easy to just be like overwhelmed and like, kind of like, this is, un- this is so much work, it's unbearable. But if at any moment you focus, you, you can see moments that can break your heart and make you cry in an instant. But that to me is like what um, the, the power of like having a kid is, is that like, if you if you can just focus in on what's actually happening developmentally with another human being that you love and care about, Literally every moment in your house is a moment where you could be like overwhelmed with gratitude and joy. And uh so that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's that's interesting. Um I was watching this guy, uh there's this garden guy I follow on YouTube named James Prigioni. And he's just kind of uh he's very like talks really fast, he a real thick Jersey accent, but he has this amazing garden in somewhere in New Jersey. And he was showing his um his little Yorkshire terrier that walks around in the garden with him. It's just little you a know, little shitty Yorkshire terrier, tiny little piece of crap dog. And he's watching the dog go around and he's talking about how he was saying how um, he likes to watch the dog in the garden because she's a good guard dog. And she also, you know, she keeps critters out and she also, but sometimes she will eat some of the asparagus. She'll eat some of his plants because she wants to eat it. And he's like, that's just a um, a tax I pay for having her. But he's also saying how, it helps having her in the garden because he watches her move around and it makes him sort of like pause and just realize the, uh, just, uh, he said it in a great way, but really fast at the same time, (laughs) like said it really, you know, he's, he talks really fast, but just saying how it sort of gives him pause to assess a moment as opposed to just steamrolling through something. It makes you like sort of look at the, the, the greater situation and kind of just, you're able to like focus on a moment like that through because you have this vessel,
0: right? I, I the, that reminds me of the other major. I wish you'd done it in the accent, by the way, when you were talking about the prig, the Priglione, the prig, as we call him, um, <laughs> the prig. But uh, the other major realization I had about parenting, all in this pandemic quarantine time, because like I've been having, and I think it's like. Th- the advantage you can rest out of this whole experience is that we're like it's a pause on your life and like we're all mm-hmm. uh, com- compelled forward by the fuel that we're p- dumping into the engine of our lives like work and socialization and the uh, relevance and blah 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 and then all of a sudden you have this opportunity to kind of pause and l- assess a bit if you're if you're doing this mm-hmm. in a way that isn't desperate. And I know that there's some people who are in such desperate circumstances, they, can, they don't have the opportunity to stare at yeah. their, their Yorkshire Terrier in their garden, because they're more like, I don't have a garden, I can't pay my rent. But at any rate, right. it's like, I, I had this realization, like, you know, they call kids little bundles of joy, you know, and it's like, kind right. of this horribly corny uh, descriptor of what a kid is. But I was like, thinking about that last night, like, what it really is, is that if you do it right, And, and, and this wasn't always true because I guess probably when we were like hunter gatherers looking for berries, we were probably all having kids when we were like 14 years old. Like the minute you got pubes, you'd be like a grandfather or whatever. But, (laughs) but the way we do it now is like, if you're about, you know, 30, 35, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm going to have a kid. That is the age where the experiences of life, um, have started to for me anyway, maybe this isn't true for everybody, but the experiences of life have started to accrue to such a degree that you're like you're less uh surprised by life you're less uh um, oh
1: absolutely
0: yeah, diminishing returns yeah, you kind of are you, you've experienced a lot, you become not cynical is not the right word because I still loved my life and loved my life and enjoyed it a great deal, but it was less of this like when you're in your twenties and your teens, every new experience every new scene you go go into you're like fucking over every new sexual experience or drug experience or like, you know, human connectivity experience or like just you're, you're having these like static explosions of, of connection. And then by about 30, 35, you start going like, yeah, kind of, I know life is this and it's good and I enjoy it. And then all of a sudden, if you have a kid, and obviously there are other ways to do this. I'm not a, um, a, 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 a childbirth essentialist, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, but if you have a kid, then all of a sudden you move this being into your house that is that is having those experiences on an exponential level because, like, you think about right. how ex- excited you were when you were a teenager having those experiences. When you are a kid, like, everything is a wonder, you know? You pick up a, a pile of mud and you're like, fucking mud, you know? So, like, that's what it is. It's like you infuse joy into your life again because you can experience it um, vicariously.
1: I've never heard someone say that before. I mean, I've heard every. For people to say everything you just said, but not in the same, not in the same, uh, not putting those things together. Cause I've always thought about that, you know, the idea of like, yeah, cause there's for me, I definitely, there's been a huge loss of novelty in so many things in my life. I feel right. like where I just, it doesn't really, it doesn't really give me the, the feeling it used to give me and I don't have the same thing, but you, what you're saying is basically yeah. How you almost like a, you live vicariously in a way through. Your kids because they can experience that in a way that you can't anymore
0: right and you get it by having them it, that is a truly new experience i mean you take comedy right like comedy yeah. when i started comedy every time i would kill it would be like the, the best night ever and then you do oh, comedy, yeah. you do comedy long enough and then you're like well okay i figured out how to do well on stage like then you're waiting for like the biannual really special show where something happens, or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. this was like twice a year. It's like, wow, that was a, was a performance experience, you know?
1: Yeah, it gets harder and harder to get to that place. It just gets – I mean I've experienced that even with like backpacking and stuff where I had like some crazy experience where I got like a huge rush of endorphins from with some really gnarly thing we did. Then we go back next year and I have to do like twice as much – physical work to get to that same mental place where I'm like, I'm high right now. I'm so fucking high because my body is dying, yet my mind is like clear. And I, every year it kept taking more and more to get to that experience.
0: Right. Well, they talk about that like uh, these people that go to war, you know, because that's like that's as, right. that's as out there of a human experience as you, as you can have, as being in combat, killing people, right. watching your brothers die next to you. You know, and just barely making it out alive. Right. They talk about people that come back from stuff like that or forgetting something as gnarly as that. Like um, I watched a lot of documentaries about mountain climbing. I don't know why I have no desire to climb a mountain. I am Jewish after all. But um, but you not allowed on a mountain if you're Jewish. Yeah, that's right. Well, not the German, yeah. not the German Alps. They won't let you up there still. To this day, <laughs> there are people up there that don't know that Germany lost the war. So they're still not allowing people up there. But these—they well, don't know
1: they started a war. <laughs>
0: that's right. These people that mm-hmm. um, that spend their lives building up this bigger and bigger adrenaline um, uh, uh, lifestyle—that that, right. that they need that adrenaline dump to feel alive. And then you know the saddest thing about all things like that is that you have to retire eventually. You can't. You just this one of the saddest moments in this documentary I watched. It's not sad, but it's like it was really interesting. Was uh it was called valley uprising it's on netflix it's really Mm -hmm. good it's about the history of um of mountain climbing in yosemite and it starts with okay it starts with like the the 30s where it's these like old men you know with like that would bring like a pot roast up el capitan and they would they would do a rope levy lever thing and they'd go up you know 100 feet in one day then they'd lower themselves back down and camp and then they'd go to that spot and then they'd keep climbing and all the like way real to-
1: robbins was he was he in it
0: yes yeah 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 that guy was in it
1: yeah real rock i used to rock climb as a kid so i know a oh, cool. good amount about
0: of- yeah so it was like the history of that and then you know they go from that all the way to that guy alex whatever the free solo guy right like the history of yeah mm-hmm. so basically the guy that came before alex holland or whatever his name is the guy who was you know started free climbing but now is a little just a little too old to keep doing that on a competitive level but he didn't die you know a lot of those guys just straight up die yeah he's now doing a thing where he ties a a high wire like a circus high wire between two like tetons in yosemite and just walks across it with no net and it was like because he's like well this is an unbelievably terrifying thing that my body can still handle and i can't really face life without this level of adrenaline like that, yeah. That's something you don't want to get to where life is truly tactile. No.
1: That's one of those things where um I can't think who said it. It's uh, I want I want to say it's like uh, uh maybe it's Kant or I'm not sure exactly. You probably know who it is, but someone said that the um like the the, the true frontier of life is the mind. And the uh-huh. idea that like that idea where if you can't if you like you ever think about what happens if your, if your legs broke or something like that? I always think about that. Like, what if I couldn't exercise? What would I do? And I obviously I, I wouldn't let myself go crazy. I'd have to find some way to stimulate myself that doesn't involve physical movement. It would probably be really really difficult, but I'd have to find a way. Otherwise, I would probably wither away and die, or kill myself or something. And it's that it's that whole I think that's sort of starting to happen right now as people are realizing like they can't do the things they used to be able to do to keep them sane and keep them like feeling good. So they have to, you basically have to face down your mind and find a way to, to generate that type of, um, uh, novelty or w- w- adrenaline or whatever it is that's, that's getting you going. It's, it's so much more difficult to do it when it's just your head and not, you don't have like a, a physical, uh, source of it from outside of you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you reminded me of something that I heard this rabbi online say it was a, he was talking about the pandemic. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Basically he he said that (laughs) that non-Jews are not, are not upset about the quarantine because their lives are not as valuable. And that the Jewish people, I just, I thought you'd respond to this, Johnny. No, no, this is what he said. He said, um, he said a lot of stuff that was kind of bullshit, you know. Like, uh, but, right. but this thing I kind of honed in on, I really liked. It was, you know, we all think of, we all thought of ourselves at, that our, our, um, our work. Wait, and you our, broke
1: you broke up a little there.
0: Okay, you said we all we thought all, of our. We all thought of ourselves as. And by the way, when I when I break up, Johnny just know that i'm not breaking up on my end so you're going to get a crystal clear recording of what i'm saying
1: okay great that's that's what i thought i just yeah. i couldn't understand for my own sake you know
0: um that that uh i was saying that oh he he was essentially saying that uh we all thought of our our, our work our social life going out to restaurants going out to bars hanging out with our friends going to work being out in the world that that was what our, that was what our lives were, that it was life. Right. Yeah. And then society shut down and we all retreated into our homes and lo and behold, we're still alive. Right. Like we still, we still have a life, whatever this is. it, it It's like, it, it kind of, you know, uh, ripped open the illusion that that's what our life was, that there's something. And I was thinking mm-hmm. when I heard that, like it's a kind of similar idea to the way the Buddhists talk about like the 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 thinking the like thinking monkey mind and then the and then the mind beneath it right that we all know that we have um multiple facets of what our mind is because we have the running commentary and then we've got that thing that comments on it so how can you have a thought you know that's like classic you know new age new age spirituality about thinking 101 right is that when you realize that your brain is yelling at you Whatever the you is that's hearing that yelling that you get for the scolding you get from your brain is also your brain. And this is that was kind of Man. this is almost like a, a a more physical version of that Buddhist idea. It's like okay, well, there's still a life, some other life. So we are that's what we get to be challenged with to figure out like what is life here,
1: without all the noise, without all having so many things you can distract yourself with so easily. That, that's such a – I mean I feel like uh, for me it's been easier I think just because that's something I've had to deal with anyways. Just if you're like – if you go from working a lot on something to all of a sudden not working on it, there's that thing that happens where you get depressed and feel worthless because you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I've gone through that a couple times now where I feel like, okay, there is light at the end of this tunnel Wherever It's, it's something you can make it through but it seems it's like for a lot of people, that's not the case because they never had to experience that type of thing where you you don't have anything. There's nothing you can do to, you can't make enough noise to cover the noise in your head.
0: Yeah. Now, I've been thinking a lot about the idea that, um that all of these systems are, are like are completely man-made. And then, <laughs> and then we, we, we started to believe in them to such a degree that they have come to define us. Like the idea that if you don't have work, you feel worthless. Oh yeah. When when absolutely work is just something that somebody started doing at some point. You know, like it used to be berries, picking berries in the woods and running after saber toothed tigers, right? But now it's like, right. oh, if I don't have I don't have a writing job, or I didn't nail an audition, or or you know I I can't go to my law office and file briefs. Like who am I really? Or the biggest example of that is is the economy. And I don't understand yeah. economics enough to understand what the alternative is. But like the idea, I always think about this, like at some point in human history, you know, somebody was like tra- trading sacks of grain for sacks of, you know, sorghum. And for some, sex. For sex. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody yeah. was like, wait, what if I just gave you this, you know, cowrie shell and it represented my sack of grain and you can come get it whenever you want and I can fuck you now. And mm-hmm. and then they were like, OK, and then that created the economy and then that created the market and then the stock market. And then now all of a sudden there's 10,000 homeless people in Los Angeles because they can't afford housing. Like we, yeah. we basically created a thing and then lost control of it. And now here we are. The whole thing is shut down. The thing like we we basically have created systems that we can no longer control and they can ruin our lives and and define them. And I don't know what the way out of it is, but it just seems like we should figure something out.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's. I it feels like there isn't really a way out. People keep saying um, when this is over and stuff, and I, I, I was saying that too a lot. Now I kind of think there isn't really going to be an over. Just going to be, it's going to be so radically different that the idea of it, anything that, anything that happened before this is going to be, like, wow. I'm so glad I did that when I did do that because I could.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right.
1: Like anything is just going to be,
0: well, what's going to happen is that it's, it's people like us that are going to say that, but our kids and then their kids are going to forget this and they're going to go and they're going to, to, they're going to re, uh, assemble the illusions of safety uh, that we have. And I was like, in thinking about the, the pandemic, the Spanish flu of 1918, like I was like, oh, it's been so, the exact amount of time it needed to be so that everybody on mm-hmm. earth forget, forgot the acute feeling of what it was like to live through a pandemic so that we were just yeah, like- Yeah, it's kind of eerie, man. It's it kind of eerie right?
1: how, how perfectly it just comes in there. Every once in a while, we got to have this thing sweep through to just, to create a massive collective memory it's like hey remember that all that stuff you thought it's gone
0: yeah well my brother was talking about that like he thinks and this is super anecdotal but he thinks that my grandmother was um really sexy and i don't remember that no he thinks he thinks <laughs> he thinks that my grandmother cared a lot more uh about washing the washing of hands and that mm like not that my mom didn't care and not that my brother and I don't care, but we kind of have this vague memory of my grandma and people from that generation being like cleanliness, wash your hands, like be, be clean. And then it kind of like plink down. And then the hippies came and they were like, Hey, let's all fuck each other. And then we came or like these grimy nineties kids. And it's like probably the reason that my grandma and my grandma's generation cared that much is because their parents consciously lived through the 1918, um, uh, uh, pandemic. pandemic. And, and it became this like national obsession of wash your hands. And we're going to yeah. be like that too for the rest of our lives. We're going to be telling our kids or or the next generation, like, you got to be clean, you got to wash your hands. And then they'll take some of that. And then they'll give as much of that as they can to their kids. And then eventually, you know, if global warming doesn't wipe us all out first, they'll they they'll just be like, hey, we're the grubby generation until like, you know, virus X comes in 2050.
1: Yeah. It's also that thing where you see about signs how you know how spitting used to be such a, a a thing you don't do. You would never spit. Right. And now I think people tend to spit more, but the whole, <laughs> the whole thing back in the, in the during the Spanish flu was they told people not to spit because it would spread the disease cuz you'd spit, someone would step on it and would just track this this uh disease everywhere. And so it's almost like all these things that we look back on as being uh, markers of like manners and pro- a protocol for for being a good person. A lot of that stuff is rooted, it seems like, in some sort of a cleanliness of that sense. Where, like, if you think about like maybe the up- upper classes are tend to be people who are, care the most about those type of manners, and maybe it's the reason that they are in the upper classes because they by practicing those things, it's allowed them to gain a gain a foothold economically because they're not being Subject to these uh, these diseases because they're smart enough to avoid it.
0: Well, I just heard. Speaking that's, of yeah. speaking of that, that's yeah, that's super fascinating. But speaking of that, my brother and I were just talking about. Now I am going to bring up the Jews in a sincere way. I know that upsets okay. you, Johnny, but I'm going to do it. Um, you know what?
1: As a as a, I speak for the goyim. Okay, I'm the I'm a totem goy. <laughs> a tot- that's my lot in life.
0: No, you're an apex goy. You're the top goy of all goys. Um, <laughs>
1: top goy.
0: <laughs> that Jews um have always been obsessed with uh, with ritual hand, hand uh, uh, bathing and cleanliness. It's old mm-hmm. ritual that goes back to like Bible days where there were like you know ritual baths and stuff like that. So they've always washed their hands way before germ theory. Jews were obsessed with washing their hands before they ate. It's just part of what you do when you eat bread, you wash your hands before it. you say a blessing. It has nothing to do with cleanliness. It has to do with purity. But they're probably, probably if you're, you know, there's probably similar, you know, uh, ideas probably, you know, people said, oh, no, this is uh, holy, you know, back in the, you know, 5,000 years ago days. So in the time of the Black Plague, the very plague that I was playing through um, uh, with the the uh, plague tale, uh, my, my, my 1300s um, uh, French video game. Oh, and they say that a lot of Jews weren't getting affected in as a, in as big of a number uh, by the black Hmm. plague as their non-Jewish compatriots surrounding them in communities, which led to people accusing the Jews of uh, uh, spreading the plague or starting the plague. And now they, now they're looking back and thinking, Oh, maybe it was because Jews happened, to accident themselves into a hand-washing ritual that made them just mm-hmm. that, just that slightly more cl- uh, clean and fastidious about washing their hands free of the, of the plague.
1: I mean, it makes sense. That makes tons of sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, to I mean, be honest, we did start the black plague, but that's irrespective right. of the, the, the broader logic of the story, which is wash your hands, kids.
1: Wash your hands and uh, don't eat pork.
0: Don't eat, well, they say the same thing about pork, that, that, that right. the, 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 you know, the more secular uh, interpretation of why there's a biblical mandate not to eat pork is that probably at some point back when they were writing the Bible, there was some, you know, contamination ha- happening within, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the pigs. And so they've said, oh, no, it's actually God doesn't want us to eat pork, but it's really the infrastructure, uh, the governmental hierarchy telling the people like to avoid food that would get you sick. Wet mar- That was the wet market of Babylon.
1: <laughs> right. Is there any? Uh, someone must have written about this about the idea of how this came about because it seems some of that stuff seems too coincidental to be. Like you could even chalk it up to maybe someone probably chalks it up to ancient aliens, right? Is that the, the fact that there's always dietary laws ac- across different religions, like Muslims and Jews have almost identical dietary laws. They just have different names for them. Like the fact that that's the case, doesn't it seem a little bit coincidental?
0: Well, it's not coincidental in the, in in the case of the Muslims and the Jews, because in the case of the Muslims and the Jews, the Muslims came after the Jews and adopted a lot of the uh, traditions and rituals. That was, those were region A lot of those were regional traditions. Right. Regional.
1: I guess, I guess what I mean is like, do you think there's something, is there any evidence of it being a thing where uh, like, obviously it's being, it's done because the people say that it's coming from God. It's been ordained, but it seems like it's a scientific thing. So it's almost like something, you know, it's like how you tell you tell your kids something, don't touch this because of this reason, but they don't understand the the actual practical reasons. So you have to tell them something else.
0: Yeah, it's I, it, I,
1: it feels a bit too too perfect almost. No, I,
0: I I definitely there's it there's some reason. That not only Islam and Judaism, but every single religion is concerned with what you eat, which I think is really weird. It's really interesting. Yeah. Like There are two things that I studied religion in college. That's what my degree was in. And, oh,
1: I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah,
0: there's two, two things that every religion seemed to have some opinion on uh, and uh, beyond like general morality, things that seem sort of arbitrary. One was like what you ate right? Like mm-hmm. the Jews say, don't eat pork and shellfish. The Muslims say, don't eat pork, but you can eat shellfish. The Buddhists say, don't eat, you know, a- animals and, and garlic for some reason. I think the Hindus say, the Hindus say, don't <laughs> eat um, cows. Like it's really interesting. Um, and in fact, I was reading um, roots. Uh, you ever read Alex Haley's roots? I haven't. No. Oh, there's a thing in there. I don't know how accurate it is. Cause it's a, it's a fictional book, but with historical research, uh, and he, he was talking about the, tri- the, the Islamic tribes in, um, in Africa, in a- a- ancient Africa, like pre- uh, during mm-hmm. slavery Africa, that they would have these rains and famines, and the famines were so hardcore that people would die, and there would be food. They could have they gone and slaughtered like the Boers, but they wouldn't do that. They would rather have the community die than abrogate the, uh, the dietary restriction, which I just think is like just
1: wow.
0: wild. But anyway, the other thing that they're all concerned with is uh, p- the, uh, periods. Every religion that I could find had some, none of them looked at a woman having a period and just went, ah, yeah, that's something that happens. Big deal. They all were like, oh, what does this mean? What, what is yeah. the ritual around this? Some of them celebrated it. Some of them rejected it. Some of them sent them to tents. But they all were like, this blood must be dealt with on a cosmological level.
1: And there's, is there consistency in how they deal with it or no?
0: No, I mean, you know, the Western religions mostly are like, that's bad, you naughty, bloody creature, <laughs> yeah. you. But the the, 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 like old school, kind of more animist, like, you know, tribal religions, uh, a lot of them were like, oh, I don't remember exactly, but it would be this more worshipful thing of like, ah, yeah. the, ah, the, the spell, the, the sorcerer of the, of the vaginal blood has arrived. I don't know exactly what, how they would deal with it, but none of them were neutral.
1: There's also a crossover too, because there's some religions that forbid a woman menstruating from touching food or something like that. There's like a thing where yeah, there's some real fundamental stuff like that, I, I think, out there. I feel like I've read that.
0: That's, I think, a, maybe a, unfortunately a Jew thing.
1: Okay. Well, you know what? You can't have everything, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got to start the Black Plague. What more do you want?
1: Yeah. Uh, who knows what the new thing is going to be now? I don't I don't know if we're going to have a new one because we're so like – there's just so much constant misinformation all the time. It's really kind of overwhelming, I feel like, at this point, that there's just
0: – What the new thing – There's which, no way to know. What new thing?
1: Like maybe a new type of um, – Uh, type of hygiene thing that becomes like collectively incorporated. Obviously we have all wearing masks and stuff, but.
0: Well, there's something about the internet that, uh, and and just the flow of information and technology. I think this is kind of what you were saying that, that almost seems like it's made the subconscious adoption of rituals impossible in the way that it used to be. Like back back in the day, you know, they. I read that. Do you ever read um, Yuval Harari's Sapiens? Did you read that book?
1: I've got about three quarters of the way through it. I just, sometimes with nonfiction, I just get, it gets so dense. And kind of, I put it down, I pick it up, put it down.
0: You probably read this passage that like basically human civilization would create some uh, system to solve an immediate problem. And then by the time that system created problems of that were consequences of the new system it had been so long it's kind of similar to what we were just talking about with the uh with -hmm. the plague and with uh, with the market that we forgot the time in our history where we invented the thing and we just were like well this is what life is you know the example they were using is like um uh the uh, domestication of grain and animals right where where we became agrarian like we did that because people were growing we wanted to grow bigger and bigger communities so it solved that problem Mm -hmm. 100, 200 years, 300 years later, it had created these places where people were impoverished and the disease was spreading through communities and people were yeah. unsafe and killing each other for each other's livestock. But we'd forgotten the, the, the part 300 years ago where it was like, oh, it didn't used to be like this. It used to be where we were all free and nobody owned anything and there was less disease. Yeah. And we were... So by the time you get to the thing, the, the, the consequence of the thing, you've forgotten that the thing ever didn't exist.
1: Yeah, uh, who know? Yeah, that's that's one of those things where it's it's kind of hard. I think your brain does is telling you not to comprehend that. Right, like, right. You shouldn't even think about that. You should think about the present moment only and solving solving problem, putting out fires instead of thinking about a fire starting.
0: Well, I think that I think that that's there's a logic to that, Johnny. Like you're right. Like all these books, you know, like Christopher Ryan. Have you
1: had him on your podcast yet? You know him? I haven't. No, I've I've hung out with him a couple of times. He's great. He's yeah, he's great guy. He and I have a similar kind of mindset, but he takes it to a different different level completely in well, terms he, well, of like.
0: Well, he wrote this book about you know civilization um, uh-huh. called "Civilized to Death." And and you know how p- things all used to be better before we created this infrastructure of civilization. And I've, there's other and and, and uh, sapiens had some similar ideas in it too. But it's also like you're kind of yeah, right definitely. at a certain point. At a certain point, you're like, well, we're so it doesn't even matter. These are all moot points because like we're not going to implode civil society and go back to like picking plucking berries and hunting boars in the jungle. Not only because we you just can't. can't. Yeah, you can't. And also, we don't even know how. We've forgotten all that information.
1: Yeah, I always think about the idea that, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not like a, uh, I don't know. I kind of ride the fence a lot with a lot of stuff. we you see like certain people who are on the far left being like, just really worried about climate change and all that stuff, and obviously you have people on the far right who are deniers of it. I, 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 um, obviously believe. I don't believe in climate change. It's not. It's not like a belief thing. It's a thing where, obviously, this is happening. But You're looking forward. That,
0: You're just looking forward to it.
1: Well, kind of. Yeah, actually, I kind of <laughs> feel like, you know, all this stuff is just stuff that's that's coming down the fucking pipe, and we can't really just the idea that we can alter that is, I think, a hubris beyond anything that's ever been had. But like the the idea that we can, like, obviously, we can change. Some of our behavior, but I think the vast majority of people, I always think about this saying, um, you know, you don't wash your clothes if they're not dirty. So, I mean, if you don't, if you don't, if you have a bunch of clothes to wear in your closet, a bunch of clean clothes to wear, but you also have a hamper full of dirty laundry, are you going to, are you really incentivized to wash your clothes if you have other clean clothes to wear? I think that's how most people think is they just don't want to do anything if they don't have to do it. Oh. You don't have to make any changes. Why would you change your lifestyle?
0: Right. So, okay. Just so I cl- I'm clear on what you're saying, so I can decide whether or not we can be friends in the future. Right. Um, <laughs> you're saying, you're saying, if you were God, and yeah. and you could affect the behavior of all human beings, and you and you waved your god wand, uh, which is what the Jews call the penis, and uh, <laughs> and made everybody change their behavior to one where they were you know, not, not using fuel and not flying, blah, blah, blah. If that were the case, you could stop climate change, but because human yeah. beings are so diffuse and individualistic, it will never happen. And, and, and we will not be able to affect change on that. Is that what you're saying?
1: I think to, to some degree we cannot affect change because there's just so many people who are intractable in that sense.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. So I, I understand what you're saying. Right, right. The, the, there was this essay that i I read, and I realize I'm coming across like a complete snob by continuing to cite things, but you're just making me think so much, Johnny.
1: No, I uh, like that, I like that. I can't cite shit. I'm like, and oh, this guy once said i I think it was guy, you know you're
0: gonna like this because I don't have any idea okay. who wrote it um but it was in this class I had in college um uh, called uh, um It was a religion class, but it was about secularization and capitalism, basically, how like Mm -hmm. how this was kind of interesting, which was that the the basic premise of this class was that when the Protestant Reformation came around, the Protestant Reformation, which which introduced the idea into people's minds, um, you can choose your own religion based on what it is that appeals to your own individual spiritual sensibility. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Before that, it was like if you're born in this region, you're a Catholic. And if you're born in this region, you're a Calvinist.
1: You're
0: yeah, well, this the is... Pre- king Cal- is right. You're, you're, uh, oh,
1: pre- yes, pre-Calvinist, right.
0: Pre-Calvinism, I think, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. Or you're in the Church of England. That's the way that it is. And then came the Protestant Reformation, which was basically like, no, no, no. Religion is about you, the individual, going on the market mm-hmm. and saying, this is the product that I relate to and I want. That essentially, uh, that it was the beginning seeds of, of the capitalist idea in the market, which is like, I am the customer. I go to the product that I like the most and I will purchase the thing that I want. Right. At any rate, there was this essay in there uh, uh, from a, uh, an eco. He was an ecological philosopher. And this line, this uh, this line that he wrote in that essay, I've never been able to forget because it was really scary. He said that, that human beings are obsessed with the idea that any present calamity, no matter how severe will be solved in an unknown future by a theoretical technology right and oh that's called techno narcissism is that what it is i'd never heard that before
1: yeah it's uh, that's called techno techno narcissism i think is what they call it
0: that's interesting and i when i read that i was like oh that's interesting because that's what we do with climate change right is we just think think go ahead
1: No, that's exactly what you're saying. We think that something's going to there's going to be some sort of a, a a solution to it eventually that we don't know how it's going to be, but because we're so smart and we're always inventing stuff, it's going to happen just because it's just everything's always gotten better, so why wouldn't that happen as well?
0: Exactly. And we can't and won't imagine a world in which our behavior actually leads to our real destruction. We won't we it's too right. incomprehensible. So we think, "Oh no, no, they will solve it at that time." And the problem with that, i thinking, is that it only works exactly as many times as it works. And the one time that it doesn't work is like the end, the end of everything.
1: Yeah, it works until it doesn't.
0: Yeah, we just haven't gotten there yet.
1: And I, I, but I really think that that's just how, you know, it's like a thing where just you can't convince most people. I think a lot of people forget how dumb most people are. I don't mean that in like a way like, oh, you're bad, you're dumb. Most people just really don't think about a lot of different stuff. Right. And that's just how it is, just the bell curve, right? It's just most people are kind of like not really – you know, the whole all that jaywalking shit where they ask people who the president is and most people don't – there's people who don't know <laughs> right. who the vice president, that kind of shit. And it's not because – I mean, they could be like very intelligent in one – Part of their lives, but a lot of people just—it's like, why would you care about this thing that really doesn't affect you that much? You know, well, it's—I actually that, I mean, maybe it's increasing, but it's it seems increasing. like the, the environmental stuff.
0: It's sorry, it's increasing and it's getting worse actually because of the internet. The internet provides so much information in such um uh such a tunnel that on demand ma- too on, on demand de- exactly. It's beyond the twenty four hour news cycle. It can be more than that because you can be playing four different videos at the same time. And so everybody yeah. is like these like little intellectual rats go uh, seeking confirmation for what they already believe. And anything you believe, there's somebody on the internet saying it. And so yeah. it's, it's actually gotten worse because people are beginning to reject uh, communities of expertise in exchange for uh, a few YouTube videos and a strong gut feeling.
1: Yeah, man, that's just fucking spooky. I also <laughs> noticed it myself a lot too. Not, 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 not on that level, but more like where just my my ability to pay attention to something and my I, I I can tell it's gotten it's gotten it's lowered. My ability to like focus on things and just the because there's always this thing where you can look up the answer to any question you have so quickly that it's changed. I think it's changing how our brains work, and who knows. Like you think about Fahrenheit four fifty one, right? All those guys memorizing the books. I don't think we could do that now.
0: Right, we my can, brain would barely to do that. We can barely read books.
1: Yeah, so to be able to have like an oral tradition like that, any sort of thing where you you pass it down, because you have this massive computer that has all these folds in it to store stuff. It's just not being used like it used to be, and it has to be affecting the the way humans are developing in some sense
0: well that's back to that chris ryan things we used to be better before civilization it's it's weird because people were in some ways much less educated and in some ways way 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 more educated you know it's like because as as technology is invented you uh, what the way the technology works uh, up to and including the ox and the plow you take parts of your brain that you were using to do that work by going in with a stone and agitating the earth. And you go, Oh, I just, Oh, the ox does that now. So you take that part out of your brain, you hand it to the ox and the plow. And then you take yeah. this part of your brain and you you hand it to the farmer. Cause Oh, I don't have to grow things. Farmers grow things for me. And then you take this part of your brain and you hand it to the, to, um, uh, Google maps. Like, Oh, I don't have to know where I'm going. Google maps knows where I'm going. And then eventually you're that's, like, what are you left with? Yeah.
1: Yeah, the, 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 uh, what do you call it? The, uh, mapping. What's it called? Uh, when the, the computer tells you where to go, the, uh, directional navigation. I think navigation yeah. to me is like the, one of the things I've noticed it the most where we, every, almost everyone uses navigation everywhere they go now. When's the last time you drove somewhere just without using it? Well, the problem is, even if you know where you're going,
0: they know how to get there better.
1: Yeah. I mean, Daddy, I I'd sometimes. Daddy,
0: will... Daddy robot knows how to get there. Why? <laughs> Who am I? Yeah, he to? knows.
1: <laughs> oh, but that's the thing. I I don't like using. It. I find myself using it so much. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm not. I know how to get to this place. I've been there a hundred times. But I'm still have the map on there for some reason. And it's all that stuff where all this automation puts these parts of your brain to sleep.
0: Yeah. Hopefully, your brain is becoming more sharpened and focused in the things like. Johnny, you and I have we have take we have the ability to take our brains and focus them on the things that matter Mm -hmm. to us, like, you know, comedy and, you know, that hopefully everybody's got a version of that where their brains are like laser focused on their system of expertise. But no, probably not. We're probably all just dumber.
1: Yeah, we're just getting we're getting to that that Wally World kind of thing, or not Wally World from uh, Vacation, but the Wally the movie with the the fatties and the robot chairs. Right. Yeah. Do you see, um, as far as like comedy goes? Because I mean, especially like any kind of live performance, all that stuff has been. I gotta wonder if there's ever gonna be a return to what it used to be.
0: Oh, we're screwed. I mean, uh, you know, you're you get more acting work than me acting acting will be back stand up i think we'll be back stand up is like i, I, I it'll be the last i think it'll be the last thing to return i mean group sex is maybe the dead last and that, that's that's pretty tough for me to <laughs> i don't know control. those people
1: i think the group sex people are gonna be like fuck it
0: <laughs> literally stand yeah. by I got to plug in speaking of seeding my intelligence to uh technology. All right.
1: You know what's crazy is every person I've done one of these with has been using a laptop that isn't plugged in and they have to plug in <laughs> every single time. That's crazy to me.
0: Yeah, I am worried um, about about stand up. I I don't I just don't know Somebody, I don't remember who texted it to me, but they were like, "Well, we knew the stand-up bubble was going to burst. We just didn't expect it was going to be like this."
1: <laughs> That's true because there definitely was a bubble. Somebody was talking about how they were in a green room with some big famous comic and how he was like, uh, "Man, there's too many comics with Bentleys. This
0: is not right." <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. comedians, are,
1: comedians are supposed to be like rats, you know. We're supposed to be like little fucking shitty, like, scrawny rats that fight dirty. And have, like, you know, you can just take anything you got and you you're, you can live off of dirt and rainwater. But now we have these so many. I mean, it's just, I mean, we're an example, I guess you could say, you know? It's like, are, are we rats? Or damn are, well.
0: Oh, we're good. We're doing good. I didn't know if we were yeah, rats. You or an, not.
1: No, you and I are rats, but we're successful yeah. rats.
0: Right. We're happy rats. We're fat rats.
1: Yeah. We're fat rats. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I mean, that shit's gonna probably maybe go back to being like you're gonna be like a troubadour playing for twenty people in a square. You think
0: like that? Oh, an itinerant. And if we really go back, yeah, we could be like itinerant comedians. We like we have like a a wagon with our baubles that we carry from village to village, and we yeah. go like, gather round ye townspeople, and let me do some observational comedy.
1: But this is what I was thinking about the other day, and this is what kind of scares me more than anything, actually. Like, I'm not like a, uh, I mean, I read like both sides of the news a lot. And I kind of, I'm kind of on the, a centrist some, sometimes, but I mean, I'm, a, I'm an apologist for a lot of right-wing shit just because I don't know why. I'm not what's, like your, a, a um, what's your,
0: what's your, what's uh, your right-wing theory that you believe that is the most controversial and that you've never talked about in public?
1: Oh, I'm, no, I'm not just really kidding. sure. Don't, I don't you think
0: know, I have, you don't to... have. to answer. That. that was a joke question, Johnny. That was well, I, know, a, uh...
1: but I was asked. I know it was a joke question. but I was kind of thinking, like, do I have one? I think it's more just like I tend to just uh, like both sides. I'm like, oh, give me a break, kind of thing. But the thing that um, that kind of worried me was thinking about how you know how it's mostly the right right now that's like, oh, we need we need to get back to work. We need to start doing stuff. And there's all these people who are they're still having church services, and there's um, talk about having like. The, the wrestling is still going to have oh, right, people right. in Florida. I even read something yesterday about how a NASCAR event or some sort of a racing event is happening like in Michigan or some bullshit, right? And I was thinking like, so what if it happens like a year from now? The only way you can do comedy is because the only people who are willing to go to shows <laughs> with other people are those people.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, and so yeah.
1: All, all live comedy and live music is catering to that demographic. The people who aren't scared in their homes with kids with like, you know, fucking weirdo names that are that they, they don't they want to assign a gender to it at, at three years old. You know, that kind of shit. Or is it going to be like they'll all be at home and you'll be play, playing to people who are like, hell yeah, man, you're funny. You know what? I don't agree with your politics, but you're fucking funny, man. That kind of we- shit.
0: So I'll travel. I, if that's the case, then I will gladly travel to um, t- Tallahassee or to um, or, or, or to you know uh, um, Waco, Texas with a, um, a plexiglass chicken coop that I bring with me okay. on the road. And so I come out on stage. I lower it down across, around my body, you know, and I perform right. from within there. You know, I perform, I do my thing. And then at the end, I say, thank you. Good night. Namaste and they all boo cuz they didn't enjoy the show and then it i i scoot off stage with the chicken coop and i am uh, infection free
1: i think i'm just going to go get into it just do it just do the shows and um i don't know i mean i i like playing to those audiences sometimes i feel like they're always like well the better.
0: Y- yeah, I, I agree. I mean, look, uh, I have a whole hierarchy of good audiences, and bad audiences, culturally. Yeah, and the worst audience definitely is an audience full of woke white people. That's that's as bad. Oh as my
1: god, it's the worst. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's as bad. Truly, as a the get. worst. Yeah. Remember t- when I first learned that? Politically uptight people, white people who do don't actually have any diversity in their personal lives, but a lot of diversity in their intellectual lives. That's that's the that's the group you don't want.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. I remember when I first learned that. I can remember that I was in uh, the improv lab before it was, you know, back when it was just a nasty little black box. Uh huh. I remember Chris Fairbanks telling me how bad his show was in San Francisco, and I was like, "Why?" It's like it's, and he was saying how he told some joke about you're all so something basically about how you're all so aware. This is like ten years ago, you know, uh-huh. this is before woke woke was even a word. You're just all so aware of everything that you won't even laugh at your laugh at yourself, something like that. And I was like, oh my God. So I always thought the opposite would be true. You know, you have like, you go to San Francisco and it'd just be this crazy awesome energy because everyone's so unbridled and crazy. Well,
0: well I will I will make an argument for San Francisco being a good comedy town because it's where I started. Uh I agree I,
1: actually. I've had some of my, my favorite shows ever there too so Yeah and of, I
0: think I think the reason that San Francisco at least the punchline can be so Uh good is the top audience is a racially diverse audience because if everybody's in there eh, and then everybody can laugh at each other if if everybody's sitting together then it's really when it becomes homogenous that it becomes uncomfortable you know so and yeah. the crowds, the crowds in San Francisco used to be anyway. And I, uh, to some extent, I think they still are, you know, people from all over the Bay area. The Bay area is a very diverse place. San Francisco, not, not a particularly diverse place, but the crowds used to be like kind of everybody. So my argument will uh, for our audiences is number one, racially diverse uh, mm-hmm. n- bottom of the barrel, woke white people. And I would say number two, uh all Filipinos. I would say that's the second best crowd you can possibly get. Is a, a have you ever Filipino performed to
1: all Filipinos before?
0: Yes, I'm not making a joke. The best audiences you one could want.
1: I that that kind of makes sense to me. Because Filipinos <laughs> do have like a uh they have a uh what well, they have a a Spanish background, right? Way back yeah. when there is a oh, lot of love for um working class things like like cooking and grilling and uh-huh. MMA. There's a lot of that. Is uh, big in the big in the Pinoy community.
0: I like what you're saying. Maybe it's that because the Filipinos are, in fact, a culture that in and of itself is diverse. So they're one part Spanish, uh, right. you know, white and Latin, and one part right. Asian. In one Filipino lives the diversity of a multiple, <laughs> of a multiple racial, multiracial crowd. I like this.
1: That's, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you're right, though. I mean, I, all the Filipinos I know are that, they're that way. They're great, it's the ultimate audience. I can't yeah, so, we figured this out.
0: Damn. Well, we figured it out. We, we figured. And also, I, I have all kinds of racial hierarchies. The two races you don't want to be heckled by, or cultures you don't want to be heckled by, um, as a person that does a lot of crowd work, you have to be on your toes with an all-black crowd and an all-British mm-hmm. Brit- all crowd. Those are the two groups yes. you don't want to be echoed by because they're going to heckle you and they're going to be funnier than you. And you, you really have to yeah. be
1: Yeah, I've heard that in, in England, it's almost like their tradition is to yeah. – and that's a hard thing to get used to.
0: Yeah, they'll I make mean, fun I of you. They'll make fun of you, and if you come back well, then they'll settle in and go, great, this is a good comedian. Let's see what he has yeah. to offer.
1: God, this is going to – I mean, just the idea of doing comedy again after taking off for so long, is that's also daunting too, just the idea of it. I think there's a lot of people who just aren't, aren't going to come back. It's too much you of a – you think so? I think so because it's kind of like if you don't have to and you don't feel like some sort of a primal need to do it, why would you do that?
0: Well, that'll be good because I don't know if you noticed this. I'm sure you did. The last 10 years, the stand-up comedian has been to the last 10 years what the DJ was to the 10 years before that. You know, it's like like 10 years ago, everyone was a DJ and then they also had their job. Now it's like Mm -hmm. you look at people's Twitter bios, it's like anti-racist activist uh ecological theorist uh you know journalist for buzzfeed stand-up comedian it's like wait is everybody a comedian now
1: (laughs) yeah it's really water waters it down quite a bit
0: sure but you know that's what happened i don't know that's what happened in the 80s too we were just in the middle of like you know cycles like in the 80s comedy got really big because of eddie murphy and Andrew dice clay Mm -hmm. and all these people that were really famous back then And then all of a sudden, all these comedy clubs opened up and there was all these great comedians. But then because there was all these clubs, all these people that really shouldn't have been doing comedy started. And then everybody started going, oh, I guess comedy sucks. And then all the comedy clubs (laughs) shut down because there weren't enough good comedians to keep them filled. And then in the in the early 2000s, it kind of ramped up again and created what we've got now.
1: Yeah, it's definitely. So maybe this is this is a good part of the pandemic, is it's going to destroy the comedy bubble. And if you come back after this, it means you really want to do it, and you're just going to be so much. God, I just I really don't see. I haven't seen anything yet of anyone talking about how how live performances will start again. Like how it's, it it's going to
0: work. I don't see it. Would you? Here's the real question. You're a comedian. I'm a comedian. Right. Would you think about going to a comedy show? I would right now the way I feel psychologically, I would never, I would never go to a comedy show right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's easy to be on stage because you're apart, you're apart from people enough to where right. you can kind of, you would feel. Uh, I mean, technically, it's the six foot thing, which I think is kind of an illusion already. But the uh, you're far enough away, but being a, that's what to me is that's why I think it's going to be the redneck uh, contingent is going to be Wel- the first. Welcoming us back. To, yeah, because they're the only people who are like, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking sit. I don't give a shit about that. Uh-huh. I'll sit. I mean, that's all bullshit. If I, I would have got it now, if I was gonna get it, so um, if I'm gonna go, if I'm gonna get it, might as well be at a comedy show. <laughs> it's what like the worst, thing, you know,
0: the worst place that I would want to catch a a, a fatal disease. The last that's place the worst Earth. place you'd want to catch it's it. Right. <laughs> I think
1: someone else might be like, man, this is fucking great. Get to see some music and laugh. I, I'm 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 fine with it.
0: I mean, I hear what you're that's saying right. about, about the performer having some distance, but also, like, mm-hmm. you have an audience of 100 to 500 people going, going, ha, ha, ha at you, yeah. like pointing their mouth. I, I don't know if people do that when you perform, Johnny, but when I perform, people go, <laughs> they, go they go, ha, ha, ha. And, and that also sounds, it sounds a little concentrated. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, I get a lot of crying and gasping. So Well, that's I good because less- that goes down.
0: Gasping is in, crying is right. down, hawing is out, and you don't want that.
1: No. Yeah. I. It's just uh, – I wish someone would model that. Someone would figure that out because everything – that's because I've seen some of my musician friends are really freaking out. They're the ones right. who – because you can't – I mean, you can do your little fucking – your little Zoom comedy show, and it feels good for a second, but it's obviously – that just not sustainable. Right. <laughs> No, totally, and not all, the same. also
0: comedy. Comedy is lucky in that you can have a thousand jobs. There are you don't just be a stand-up. Yeah. You can write for TV. You can act. You can do a talk show. Mm-hmm. You can you know there's a million things that you can do. And when you're a musician, I feel like it's a, the options are a little bit lesser.
1: Yeah, it's so performative, and right. unless you want to re- just be re- just record. I mean, there's a lot of people who just do recorded music, so you can do that, I guess. Maybe it's just who knows, it feels like it's a, it's a big deal though, to have to lose, to lose. I just wonder when it's going to be a thing where, um, as a, I collectively we're so distant from everyone in terms of being able to go to like a, a group event, experience something as a group, which is like an undeniable sense. Something happens in your brain when you're experiencing something collectively, not being able to do that. And also like the lack of physical touch, when it's going to have this thing where it's going to start to have Uh, an actual like almost like a like a secondary infection in in a sense you're saying like a
0: a psychological infection that it will change the way Yeah, psychological
1: infection that's gonna dramatically change people because there's never been a history in the history of time where that's happened
0: well i i can already feel on some small level i mean i'm sure it'll go back to normal i hope it'll go back to normal but like you know, when someone walks toward me, I feel like it's a, it's, it's a, there's a poison or a snake coming towards me. And that's an it's unusual, insanity. it's an unusual, yeah. and it's probably not even, I don't even know if it's logical, but I feel this, mm-hmm. you know, reaction to like, go away from me. Even when it's somebody, even when it's my brother, you know, or I go for a yeah. walk with my brother, he get he gets too close to me and I, I recoil And that's not how human beings are supposed to be. You're supposed to want your brother to hug you. I mean, imagine hugging a person. Imagine hugging me, John. Yeah,
1: I know. I can't imagine. Right?
0: It It doesn't seem right. It seems wrong. And that's before the pandemic. You wouldn't hug me because I was always asking you, "Please hug me, John."
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's. uh, I I mean I feel the worst for for people who are alone. You know, if you're like alone, you don't have like you obviously have your your wife and your kid. You know, so you've got.
0: Um, no, there's worse than alone. I do a yeah. I, Natasha and I do a relationship advice podcast where people call in with their relationship issues. And there's a lot of people, um, who, who realized that they needed to break up with people or that they were with a piece of shit right when mm-hmm. the pandemic started, right when they decided to bunker down and quarantine together, they're yeah. like, Oh no, I was in a relationship with this person for three months, but because we were so busy, I felt like uh, they were cool. Now that we're together all day, I'm actually with a complete fucking asshole, and I don't have anywhere to go. That's worse than being yeah. alone. I think.
1: I think that is definitely. It also kind of goes back to the whole primitive idea of it, where it's like, well, you have to fucking. It's these times where you have to fucking figure that shit out. I guess. Right. It sucks, but you, you. What are you? What else are you gonna do? You're right. Just like, like this is.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, I was in an argument with somebody today about social distancing. It was like we have to be able to. To do what we want and go outside now—it's bad for for your mental health not to go outside. And I was like, well, you know, Anne Frank lived in an attic for three years. Like that's bad. Yeah. This a momentary mm-hmm. four-month disruption in our ability to like go play rugby. It sucks, but it's not. It's it's not that.
1: Yeah, it's a, we have to. You have to just adapt, essentially. But speaking I think of, just... sorry but I, I was just trailing off
0: basically <laughs> speaking of um right wing people protesting and like having uh intellectual empathy for them like yes the 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 messaging in some of those rallies is completely fucking bonkers and yes the idea that covid is like a lie is like just being willfully ignorant but uh-huh. But if you take away the rhetoric, the the skin of rhetoric on top, which is being fueled by ideology, underneath it is like, well, what did you? I'm thinking to myself, what did we expect to happen when we took away people's livelihoods? They, uh, who is surprised that there are rallies where people are going, I need money, I have to pay my bills, I have to eat. Forget yeah. the, forget the weird like Ku Klux Klan hood with the you know alien eyes saying like you know 911. Uh, created COVID. Like if you just get rid of the like top layer of insanity underneath it's like, well, yeah, people are desperate. Of course they're in the streets saying, give me my money back. They fucking, they need to buy food.
1: Yeah. They're, they're going nuts and there's no real end in sight for it. They have, it's just like a reaction.
0: Right. So it exactly. It makes
1: sense to have a, have a reaction to that, but.
0: Well, hopefully this will yeah. all pass sometime soon and we'll all be back to performing uh, Yuck at the Yuck wow. Yucks chain.
1: Oh, I can't wait to go to Yuck Yucks in Edmonton.
0: Oh, I gotta get back to Edmonton. I gotta get well, in the get middle back, of
1: winter. Like 40 below.
0: There was a. I, I, there. I was at, I don't think it is a Yuck Yucks. Edmonton, I think, is the one that's in this mall. I'll never forget. It's okay. a, the biggest mall in Canada, and there's a comedy club. I don't remember what it's called. Anyway, I was right across from the comedy club. There's a Hooters, and uh, this. Uh, hooters waitress walked out and she's in her little short shorts and crop top she walked out and took a left and then this um uh one of the janitorial staff was this muslim woman in a full um like sh- sharia hijab like beyond a hijab they'll like only see a slip but it wasn't quite a burqa, it's what they have in like okay. saudi arabia you know where it's like right. only the eyes and uh yeah. the hooters waitress and the and the burka woman walked towards each other. And it was like, I wish I could have painted it or taken a picture just like the two sides of, of subjugation. Like who, who's the oppressed person here anyway.
1: That's funny. It was in Canada in Edmonton
0: in Canada. Yeah. And the most, the most, the the epicenter of politeness.
1: What else? So what do you have going on in the next, in the next couple of weeks and months, anything you want to next uh, couple? Well, I
0: got, well, I mean, if um, if I'm telling people what to watch of me, I, my old special yeah. is on Am- just got <clears throat> put on Amazon Prime for free. That's called yes. Moshe Kasher Live in Oakland, and my newer special is on Netflix. It's with Natasha. It's called the Honeymoon Stand Up Special. Natasha oh, and I yeah. are doing are doing episodes of our podcast from our bunker, just like you. It's called the Endless Honeymoon Podcast. And I just released an album, uh, you know, a month before all this went down. It's an all crowd work album called Crowd Surfing. And that's on Spotify. So if you want to waste your days away with content that I created, there's a lot of it out there for you to listen to and watch.
1: The last crowd work album ever.
0: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. When there were crowds. Remember crowds? Crowds. Ooh.
1: God, I can't wait. Maybe I'll I tweet. I want to get infected.
0: I'm going to tweet. Oh, yeah. Get infected. Get... That's how it is, Johnny. That's how we're mm-hmm. going to recreate stand-up. Everybody gets infected. Herd immunity. And they get the tattoo on their neck that says recovered, COVID, and they bring their paperwork to the club. And then when you present your paperwork and your tattoo, you can come into the club and watch some comedy again.
1: Can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to that. I got a nice space here.
0: here for it. So yeah, it would look good, especially with the haircut.
1: Thanks for being here, Moshe.
0: Thanks for having me, Johnny. I miss you. I can't wait to hug you. Likewise. Okay, <laughs> bye.
1: Be in touch. All Take right, care. bye. Thank you for listening to Live to Tape Podcast with Johnny Pemberton, also known as the Executive Buffet, Hands on the Branch, and Daddy's Big Red Truck. Please check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash live to tape. That's patreon.com slash live to tape, where you can find weekly audio and visual goodies for your enjoyment. Thank you for listening, and please be sure to rate, Review and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. Bye!